Well, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles this evening back to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 18. And uh, my text for this evening is found there in verse 3, where Jesus is speaking and he says there in Matthew 18, verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And my title this evening is How to Get to Heaven or How to Enter the Kingdom of Heaven. Now, just prior to these words that we uh, read here, Jesus and his disciples had been uh, traveling to Capernaum. And while they were, were traveling, the disciples were in uh, deep discussion with one another. Matthew abbreviates the account for us here, but in Mark's Gospel, He provides us with some extra details because while they had been traveling, they had been discussing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. You can imagine, can't you, the the conversation as they're traveling along. There's, uh, you know, there's Peter. Was it going to be him? I mean, after all, he'd confessed back in chapter 16 that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living gods. Surely such a, a statement placed him top of the pile of the, of the disciples. He was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then Jesus had said, hadn't he, a few moments later to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And so you can imagine the other disciples quickly pointing out to Peter, well, it's not going to be you. But then you can imagine James and John chipping in, well, it's surely going to be us. Chapter 17. There he was. Jesus takes Peter, James and John up to that mountain to pray. He didn't take anybody else. And uh, there's the inner three going up into the mountain. And there Christ reveals his glory to them. And of course he charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after his resurrection. They couldn't tell the disciples. But surely they knew it's going to be us. We're going to be the greatest. We're the, the special ones. But maybe Judas piped in at this point and says, well, wait a minute. Who did Jesus give the money bag to? Who's the one who's been entrusted with all the money that's coming in? Surely I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you get the idea. These disciples, as they're journeying to Capernaum, arguing amongst themselves, disputing, bickering, as they're trying to jostle, as it were, for position to be top dog amongst Jesus' disciples. Well, Mark tells us that when they uh, entered Capernaum, they then went into a house and Jesus asked them what it was that they were disputing and arguing about. And his question is met with an embarrassing silence. Their foolish squabbling had been discovered by Christ. Of course, Christ knows all things. He knew exactly what they had been discussing and arguing. But he comes and he tests them. And here in Matthew's Gospel, we're told that the question is then asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven there in verse 1? And this is an an extraordinary question considering that only a few verses before in in chapter 17 and verses 22 and 23, he had told them very plainly that he was going to be betrayed. Christ tells him he was going to be killed. And this announcement had been met with great sorrow. But now, only a few moments later, they're arguing and jostling over who is going to be the the greatest in Christ's kingdom. Their concern for Christ had quickly faded, hadn't it? They're now filled with thoughts of pride and self-exaltation. 
But Jesus cuts through all of it, as he so often does, doesn't he? And he begins to address not the question that they had just asked, but rather he addresses the question that they should have asked. And the question that they should have asked him was not who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, but rather how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? That's the, that's the crucial question. That's the, the most vital question. Jesus says, in effect, look, you don't need to worry about what position you're going to have in the kingdom of heaven. What you need to really worry about is whether you're going to be there. And so as we begin tonight, let me ask that question. Will you be in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if you answered that question yes in your mind, let me ask you another question. On what basis will you be in heaven? What's the foundation? What is the thing that you're relying upon for you being in the kingdom of heaven? What do you think you need in order to reach heaven? Well, what I'd like to do tonight is to take whatever it is, uh, I should say, what, what I'd like you to do tonight is to take whatever it is you've got in your mind as the foundation uh, and put it, as it were, to one side for the moment and park it, as it were, And I want us to look at how Christ answers that question and see what Christ says is the way to get to heaven. What is it that Christ uh, says is the way that we can enter the kingdom of heaven? Because Christ goes on in this passage here to deal with this, this very issue. Not who will be the greatest. He does answer that in a sense in verses four and following. But he says here, the crucial issue is how are you going to enter? And so as we look at this tonight, I want us to just notice two things from this passage. Two things, two very uh, simple things that we see here. And the first thing that we notice is that Christ presents to us a single condition. A single condition. Just look at me at verse 3 for a moment. Notice what he says there. He says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of God. Of heaven, except ye be converted. Now it's interesting because Jesus here doesn't list as he a whole ream of of requirements. He doesn't uh, say, well, what you need to do firstly is A, and then uh, you know, then B. Then when you've done A and B, then there's then there's C also to do. And if you manage to get past those three, then there's a final process. There's D to do as well. Now we have to be clear here. There's lots of faiths. There's lots of uh, religions, there's lots of Christians who, Christians in inverted commas, I should say, who have this exact idea. Heaven is entered through a series of do's. There's a number of hoops that you need to jump through in order to get your badge to this higher sphere, this higher place. There's a, a tick list, as it were, of things that must be done or things that must be achieved before God will accept you. But that's not what Jesus says here. Nor does he say, well, actually, to enter heaven, it's easy. It's a a piece of cake. It's so straightforward because actually there's nothing you need to do. You know, just carry on as you are. Just carry on living the, you know, the self-righteous life that you are. The doors of heaven are, are automatic, just like walking into a shop. As you walk up to them, they'll just open for you and in you go. And again, of course, that's a prevalent view in society today, isn't it? We hear this view all the time when someone dies. And people speak of that person as if they've they've automatically gone into heaven. 
They use phrases, don't they, like, you know, so-and-so is now looking down on us. Or they finally found rest, or so-and-so's now got her wings. This week, of course, uh, a very famous cricketer died, and there's so many tweets and people sending out you know, messages, and, and they are like this, aren't they? This famous person who did so much in their eyes that was so wonderful and praiseworthy, well, they're, they're in heaven. And of course, this is now even extended, sadly, isn't it, to animals. I saw something the other day, someone was lamenting the death of their, their pet, and people had written comments just like this, saying, well, you know, one day you'll join them. Your beloved pet is now shining down on all of us. But again, Jesus says nothing of the sort here. And we could also say that what Jesus says here is not like one of the many adverts, is it, that we hear on the radio, you know, as you're listening to an advert for some supposedly, uh, you know, great offer that's on at the moment, this wonderful product, it's, it's half price, it's never been this, this low before, and come to the shop and buy one. And then, of course, the, the main part of the advert finishes, doesn't it? And then right at the end, someone in a very fast voice begins to list a number of conditions, they say, you know, the offer's only in selected stores for a limited time only. Come, you know, and it goes on and on, and it's very quick, and you've got to be, have a very tune, you know, tuned in to hear all these things. And he said, I didn't quite catch them all. But Jesus doesn't do that either, does he? He doesn't have a list of all these conditions and things and say, heaven, it's there for you, but blah, 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 and all these things come tripping out. Rather, he lays down for us here a single condition which is absolutely necessary for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And this single and necessary condition we have here, he says, is to be converted. The Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you must experience conversion if you are to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this raises the question then, doesn't it? What does it mean to be converted? Well, the word converted here literally means to turn, to be turned from something or someone and then to face in a, in a different direction or have a different view, different outlook. Let me just give you another, an example in Matthew's Gospel, just a, a few chapters back where the same word is used. If you just go back into chapter 16 and verse 23, and we have exactly... Uh, the same word used. This is the point when uh, Jesus is rebuking Peter. And it says there in chapter 16 and verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter. And it's exactly the same words. He was converted, you could say, and said unto Peter. He turned and faced him. Jesus was facing one way and hearing the words of Peter. He then turned. He changed direction. He changed where he was looking. And that's what conversion is all about. It's a, it's a turning from looking and thinking and moving in one direction and now going in a, in a completely different and, and opposite way. And what Jesus is speaking of here is not a, a physical turning, but it's a, it's a spiritual turning. This is about our hearts. It's about our spiritual Lives. He says what you need to do is to be turned 180 degrees spiritually. And until you are turned, until you are converted, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, in, it's impossible. Now you may say tonight, well, why do I need to be turned? Why do I need to be converted? 
Well, the simple answer is because spiritually you're heading in the, the opposite direction. Your life, your aims, your will, your desires, they're all away from God and away from heaven. And this is because your, your nature is sinful. Your nature is corrupt. By nature, we're told that we are children of wrath. By nature, we are all sinners. By nature, we're depraved and we're selfish and rebellious. Like these disciples here, we have great thoughts about ourselves. We are self-centered. We are proud. We make ourselves kings, as it were, and, and therefore we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We cannot enter heaven placing ourselves upon the throne. And so Jesus says here, except ye be converted, ye cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Conversion, he says, is absolutely necessary. And this is going to require a new heart. It's going to require a new will and new desires. You're going to need a new spirit within you. You'll need to be made a new creature. Jesus, remember what he said to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3? He said, you need to be born again. That's what conversion is. It's a complete change. And friends, let me tell you tonight, it's, it's a wonderful change. The Bible illustrates this change in, in, in so many different ways. Let me give you some examples. And the first is that we turn from darkness to light. You know, when Paul was changed, when he was converted, he was, he was then given this charge to go and preach the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And we have those words there in Acts 26 where we, we read about his charge. And he, he says there in, in verse 18 that he was told to go and preach so that he might open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And friends, that's what happens when you're converted. You were once in, in darkness. You were, you were once without understanding and, and illumination. But then you turn and you come into the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the same verse, Paul goes on to give us a, a second thing that happens. Because he tells us that we turn from the power of Satan unto God's. We turn from him who is evil and wicked and who's like a roaring lion who would devour us and, and maul us and drag us down into hell. And we need to turn from him and we turn to God. The one who's loving. The one who's merciful. The one who's forgiving in Christ. It's this God who, who sent his son into this world to pay the price for our sin that we were singing about earlier. Deliver us from the power and the mastery of Satan. We could say, we could add another aspect of conversion. Conversion is also turning from death to life. From being dead in our trespasses and sins to new life, eternal life, abundant life. That's why Christ came, wasn't it? So that we might have life, he said, and that we might have it more abundantly. But conversion is also turning from blindness to sight, isn't it? The converted person no longer gropes in the dark, unable to, to see their way into heaven, no longer stumbling along, heading directly for the bottomless pit. Rather, we're given sight so that we can see. The eyes of our spiritual understanding are opened, like Bartimaeus. It's also from bondage to liberty. That's what conversion does. We're shackled by sin. 
Perhaps in tonight you don't realize it, but the world, it grips your mind. Your thoughts are continually shaped and, and molded by this, this world. What you see, what you feel, it's influencing your character. You think that you're independent. You think you're, you're free. But actually you're enslaved. Enslaved by Satan. He's your master. You think you can do whatever you want. But you can't. You're chained by him. He's the one who leads you and directs you. Like a bull with a ring through its nose, Satan pulls you along and you go where he wants you to go. You haven't got independent thought and free thinking. And friends, tonight, do you, do you realize this? This, of course, is one of the, the great mysteries and questions that evolutionists cannot answer. Why is it that, that you know, I have a moral standard that I set for myself, but I can't keep it? Why is it at the end of the day I've disappointed myself, even my own self? Well, that's because the law of God is written in your hearts, but Satan pulls you and he takes you wherever you, whether he wants you to go. You see, if you were completely free, you'd be able to do what was right, wouldn't you, and what was good, but you can't. It's because you're a slave to sin. But when you're converted, there's liberty. The shackles are come off. And you're free, and you're free in Christ. Liberty. Liberty in the Savior. Liberty from sin. It's a wonderful feeling when you're liberated. It's a wonderful taking from bondage to liberty, but we could also say conversion also takes us from poverty to wealth, doesn't it? We go from having nothing, from being filthy, destitute beggars, to being heirs of God and joint heirs in Jesus Christ. This is what conversion does. It lifts you out of all the misery and the poverty of your sin. And now you're adopted into the family of God. You become an heir of Christ. We could also say conversion takes you from being slaves to sons. Adopted into his family. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To think that we were once just these, these sinful creatures when you come and you trust and you turn to Christ, you're now a son of God, taken into the family, and you receive all the blessings that come by being adopted into, into his family. And you could also say that we go from sorrow to joy, therefore. There's a wonderful joy in knowing Christ, a wonderful joy in knowing sins forgiven and pardoned. And of course, it takes us from enmity to peace. We were once shaking our fist at God's. We were enemies of God's. But now we have peace with God's. And peace from God's. A peace, of course, that passeth all understanding. We could also say, lastly, that conversion takes us from self to Christ. And friends, that's the key of conversion. It's Christ. It's a turning away from ourselves and from our iniquity and from our pride. And it's a looking to Christ. It's a repenting of our sin. It's a turning from our sin. And it's a placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, let me ask you tonight, have you done this? Have you been converted as Christ tells us here? Have you turned to Christ and come to him? It's the, Christ that, it's the condition that Christ gives us here. It's the only condition. It's the single condition he gives. It's a necessary condition. 
That's why I said at the very beginning, I, I don't know what you're basing your acceptance into heaven is, but if it's not conversion, you won't be there. No, Christ says you need to be converted. But I want to move on from this single condition tonight and notice a second thing in our text here this evening. Because I want you to notice a simple example. A simple example. So Christ says to us here, well, look, here is the condition for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But he says, look, in a sense, I want to also illustrate this for you. I want to show you what this is, this is like. I want to give you an example. And in verse 2, he, he tells us there that Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. There's Christ. He sees this, this small child and he, he calls the child to come over to him. And this little child evidently trusted Jesus and he obediently comes to the, to the Savior. And Jesus takes this child and he places him right in the middle of the disciples you can sort of picture the scene, can't you? There's these disciples, they've all been arguing over who is the greatest. Their minds have been, you know, filled with proud thoughts. And now here they are and they're staring down at a little child. Jesus is perhaps stood next to this child or kneeling next to him, perhaps with his arms around this boy's shoulder. We know in Mark's account that Jesus, at the end of this discourse, he evidently picks the child up in his arms. That's how small this child is. It's interesting, isn't it, to note all the way through the Gospels how the Lord Jesus Christ loved little children, how little children loved him. You often see uh, scenes, don't you, where Christ, and there's clearly children around him. He watched them, didn't he? He loved them. He watched them as they played in the marketplace. When he fed 5,000, we know there were also women and children there to listen to him. And here is another example where a child comes to Jesus. And they loved him and trusted him. And Jesus says to his disciples here with this little child in front of them, he says to them, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what does he mean? I mean, children are naive, aren't they? And fickle, easily persuaded. Does Jesus mean that we need to become like that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, no, of course not. When uh, very often in Scripture, when we give given a picture, it's one particular aspect, not necessarily all the aspects of that thing. Just take, for example, when I see my children eating, sometimes I say to them, you're like pigs. Now, what I, what I mean by that is their habit of eating. I don't mean that they have got four feet and trotters and so on, but I'm picking up on one particular aspect of a pig. And that's what Christ does here. He picks up on one particular aspect of childhood to illustrate his point of what it is to be converted. And the thing that he's picking up on here is about their obedience and their trusting nature, their, their simplicity, but especially their humility. It's their humble trustfulness that he's highlighting. They show utter dependence, don't they, upon their parents and they humbly trust and submit to them. And he says to his disciples, this is how you must be. This is what's required if you're to be converted. All your pride has got to be shelved. All your, all your boasting has got to go. You've got to come humbly. You must come with that childlike trust. You must yield yourself and submit yourself to Almighty God. 
And verse 2 here is a wonderful picture of this. Jesus called this little child. You can see him kind of saying, come over here to this child. Come to me. That's, of course, what Jesus still says today, isn't it? Come. Come over to me. Come and trust in me. Friends, let me ask you, have you come? We should respond like this little child here. It's a wonderful picture. The little child just gets up and comes to Christ. And he submits to Christ. And we should submit to him. We should trust him and come in humility to the Saviour. This little child heard the voice of Christ and came. Doesn't that remind you of what we read a few moments ago in the life of Samuel? There's that little boy sleeping. And he hears the voice of the Lord, Samuel. He hears his name being called. Three times, of course, at first he didn't realise what was going on. Eli, of course, eventually twigs what's happening. It's the Lord that's calling you. And that fourth time it comes, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel comes and he answers in humility, doesn't he? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And, of course, you know that in a meeting like this, the Lord still calls It's when the gospel's being preached that he comes and he says, come. Will you not come to the Saviour? Will you not come and trust in him? Just like Samuel did. Just like this little child did here in verse 2. Gets up, walks to the Saviour, stands next to the Saviour, is willing to even have Christ's arms embrace him and pick him up. You know, when you come and you trust in him, that's when you're converted, that's when you're changed, that's when you know new life and all those things that we were speaking of, being changed from death to life, from bondage to liberty and so on, and you have a new spirit put within you, and you come and you're born again, and you're a new creature in Christ, and all the old things, they pass away. So let me ask you tonight, will you not come and put your faith in Christ? May each one of us here tonight have this childlike faith and humility and come and trust in him and be converted that we may enter the kingdom of heaven. Christ says here, except ye be converted, become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.